Stay tuned now for Edward R. Murrow with the news, presented by Hams. H A M M S. Hams. Yes, Hams, America's most refreshing beer, brings you America's favorite newscaster, Edward R. Murrow. Looks refreshing, tastes refreshing, is refreshing. Hams, America's most refreshing beer. From the land of the sky blue waters. Have a hams when you want real refreshment. Ask for hams wherever fine beer is sold. It's America's most refreshing beer. Hams. And now, Edward R. Murrow. This is the news. Prime Minister Stalin says we are going to lose the war in Korea unless we accept Communist China's demands to withdraw all United Nations troops, take the American fleet away from Formosa, and admit the Chinese to the United Nations. In his first major statement on foreign policy in two years, given to Pravda and broadcast by the Moscow radio, Stalin also said it was shameful for the UN to brand China an aggressor. Said the UN is being turned into an instrument for war. Said war is not inevitable at this time. I'd like to examine this Stalin statement in a few minutes. Stalin's views on Korea came as correspondents on the battlefields reported a lull. The Chinese and North Koreans made some attempts to creep down our flanks. We stopped them. Our officials estimate that in the past four days, our troops have inflicted 22,000 enemy casualties, the equivalent of almost three red divisions. Secretary of State Acheson went before two Senate committees today to urge us not to hold back troop support for Western Europe. If we do, he said... It might mean suicide for all of us. The secretary said this is the time for sending the men over. He expects Western Europe to double its defense forces within a year. He hopes that Spain, Greece, and Turkey can be linked to the North Atlantic Defense Agreement. He also told the senators we have not at any time made any commitments to send troops to Europe. The committee then heard General Bradley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, explain why he favors sending another four divisions to Western Europe. The general seemed to sum up so well the military's point of view that we recorded it for you. Today, along with General Eisenhower, I'm in favor of increasing the number of ground troops and their auxiliary tactical air support to be stationed in Western Europe. Here are my reasons. First, the two United States divisions now in Germany as part of the occupation would, if war came, be in great danger. Increasing that number to approximately six divisions would immeasurably improve their ability to defend themselves. I agree with General Eisenhower that the increased forces would be able to take care of themselves under almost any conditions, given the adequate air and sea support of which we are capable. Second, the morale of Western Europe is one of the most important factors in its defense. Free nations must have the will to fight. By sending additional troops overseas soon, we give reassurance that we intend to help them defend themselves. Their morale and their will to fight will certainly grow with every increase in the armed strength on their frontiers. Third, although the Soviet Union has not been able to prevent the economic recovery of Western Europe, some people insist it will not tolerate the military recovery. However, in my opinion, this increase in collective military strength is needed as a deterrent to the aggressive intentions of Soviet Russia. Weakness can only invite attack. Fourth, we member nations of the North Atlantic Treaty 
cannot withhold our own contributions to the collective security, waiting to see what another member contributes. This is not the time for suspicious scrutiny, and we of all the countries can most appropriately assume the role of generous leadership. If we all hang back, how long will it be before Soviet Russia makes a laughing stock of our entire effort toward collective security? Fifth, if worse comes to worst, and we're engaged in an all-out war, where do we choose to fight it? Here in the United States or in other parts of the world? I would rather fly our planes from North Africa, from France and from Norway, and from Florida, from Michigan, and from Westover Field in Massachusetts. I think many Americans would agree with me in this choice, despite the unwelcome necessity of sending our planes and ships and soldiers to foreign lands before aggression strikes. For we cannot base our planes and ships on fields and ports that are undefended. I would like to emphasize one more thought, that plans to commit U.S. forces for Western Europe are based upon the expectation that they will be met with similar efforts on the part of other nations involved. It is now squarely up to the European signatories, if we carry out our part of the bargain, to provide the balance of the forces required for the initial defense. The Senate committees have invited former President Hoover and Governor Dewey to testify, and they expect to hear from Senator Taft. Organized labor made it known today that it's very angry over the Wage Stabilization Board's decision to limit wage increases to 10% over what wages were in January of last year. Three labor members of the board have resigned. Walter Ruther of the Auto Workers calls the decision a fraud on the American people, especially objectionable in the light of a complete lack of effective controls on the cost of living. John L. Lewis says the 10% decision is miserable, oppressive, unjustifiable. But the strongest blast came from the United Labor Policy Committee, representing all of the major unions except the mine workers. The Labor Committee said Mobilization Chief Wilson dictated the decision. The whole mobilization program is being run by big business interests. The program has been subjected to a series of shocking developments. Those developments were not specified. Mr. Wilson's office made it known that he is concerned and discouraged. His aides deny that he pressured the public and industry members of the Wages Board to approve the 10% maximum increase. And seemingly trying to quiet some of the objections from labor, Mr. Wilson said he's willing to accept a union man as one of his top assistants. Previously, he insisted that this man drop his union job. Now he's willing to let the labor representative maintain his union position. The Labor Department reports another all-time high for wholesale average prices. The 14th week in a row, the index has broken records. Wholesale prices are now almost 17% above what they were before the war. The principal increase this week was in farm products. And Price Administrator DeSalle says that if economic stabilization is not achieved within the next two or three months, he will recommend that farm parity prices be modified. The biggest local union of the CIO packing house workers, 7,000 members in Chicago, call for an immediate strike in the meatpacking industry because of the wage board's decision to limit wage increases to 10% over January 1950. And today, some 70,000 CIO woolen and worsted cloth workers started a strike in more than a dozen states for higher wages. Here in New York today, Telford Taylor, who was the chief prosecutor at the Nuremberg trials, says he hopes U.S. High Commissioner McCloy will oppose all German efforts to save the lives of seven Germans sentenced to death. 
Mr. Taylor said the clemency we have shown to other German war criminals was based much more on a false conception of political expediency than on any justice with mercy theory. When Stalin speaks, the world listens. His words in that interview with Pravda will be studied in the world's capitals with greater attention than was accorded to Hitler's speeches in 1938 and 39. Without doubt, the most important thing he said was in answer to this question. What do you think of the intervention in Korea? How could it end? Stalin replied, If Britain and the United States reject finally the proposals made by the People's Government of China, the war in Korea can only end in a defeat of the interventionists. Stalin is saying that unless the United Nations forces get out of Korea and admit communist China to the United Nations, unless we withdraw our naval screen from Formosa and agree to a conference of the great powers to be held in communist China, then we shall be defeated in Korea. It would seem to be a military fact that we cannot be defeated in Korea without the active military intervention of the Soviet Union. This statement of Stalin's is as fateful as any he has issued since the end of the last war. Stalin was asked, Do you consider a new world war inevitable? And he replied, No, at least at the present time it cannot be considered inevitable. But he went on to say that in the United States, Britain and France, there are aggressive forces thirsting for a new war, people wanting to obtain huge profits and to plunder other countries. The reactionary governments of the West are trying to deceive their peoples in order to draw them into a new war. Stalin was asked, what will be the end of this struggle? And he said, peace will be preserved and consolidated if the peoples will take the cause of preserving peace into their own hands and will defend it to the end. The political portions of this remarkable and somber interview can be easily summarized. Stalin is saying to the West precisely what we are saying to the communists, saying, you must throw off your present leaders, abandon your present policies, agree to the policies advocated by us, and then we shall have peace. Anyone who has in the past doubted the irreconcilable nature of the conflict that divides the world need only read the text of Stalin's interview. This is an uncompromising document aimed at Russia's enemies. Stalin denies Prime Minister Attlee's charges that Russia did not demobilize after the war and has been constantly increasing its armed forces. He calls this charge a slander, says if Attlee were competent in financial or economic affairs, he would understand that no nation could develop civilian industry, restore war damage, launch great construction projects, and at the same time multiply its armed forces and develop its war industries without going bankrupt. Stalin says Attlee merely wants to justify the armaments race in Britain to draw the British people by deceit into the new world war being organized by the ruling circles of the United States. Both the British and the Americans, say Stalin, says Stalin, wants to unleash a new aggressive world war. The United Nations organization is being turned into an instrument of war. Stalin contends that the aggressive core of the United Nations is represented by the ten member countries of the North Atlantic Pact plus the nations of Latin America. Asked what he thought of British and American generals in Korea, Stalin said they are in no way any better or worse than the officers of any other country. He says the soldiers regard the war as unjust, that the most experienced generals and officers can suffer defeat if they perform their duties at the front in a formal way, without faith in the righteousness of their mission and without enthusiasm. Much of what Stalin says has been said before. It's the party line. The thing that is new is his assertion that we shall be defeated if we do not meet the Chinese communist conditions in Korea. 
We will not be defeated without active Russian intervention, and that would mean war. The area of possible negotiation, compromise, and diplomatic maneuver has been terribly, if not fatally, reduced. This is Ed Murrow. I'll be back in a moment with the word for today. Softly now, the twilight deepens. To the north, in the land of the sky-blue waters, the land is in winter darkness, the silence complete, broken only by the whispering winds in the tall pines. It's night in the land of the sky-blue waters. And where you are, it's take-it-easy time, too. Time to just sit back. A perfect time for that evening glass of hams. Yes, this is the time for a glass of America's most refreshing beer, hams. The beer refreshing as the land it comes from. The land of the sky-blue waters. So, let's get a hams from the icebox. Let's fill the glass and enjoy that crisp, light flavor. That wonderful, clean-cut taste. That smoothness aged in. It's a flavor that's hams and hams alone. So, let's have a hams right now. If you're out of hams, then order some tonight. Just ask wherever fine beer is sold. It's the beer with the letters H-A-M-M-S. Hams, refreshingly yours, from the land of the sky-blue waters. And now, Ed, what's the word for today? Stalin, in that interview today, threatens us with defeat if we fail to meet the Chinese communist demands. But to threaten and to strike are not always the same thing. Ambrose Bierce said, In diplomacy, an ultimatum is a last demand before resorting to concessions. And I think General Omar Bradley once said, Let us not fly into a panic every time someone rattles a paper behind the Iron Curtain. Good night and good luck. Edward R. Murrow is presented each night, Monday through Friday, by the Ham Brewing Company of St. Paul, Minnesota. When you do your weekend shopping tomorrow, remember to order a good supply of hams. Order this extra refreshing beer in the handy, easy-to-carry six-pack carton. Or order it by the case. Just ask for Hams, America's most refreshing beer from the land of the sky-blue waters. Listen tomorrow on Monday. Larry Alexander speaking. This program in part transcribed. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.